Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. As always, I'm Mike Lewis, a professor of marketing analytics and sports analytics at Emory. Today, I've got a special guest, one of my favorite people in uh, one of my favorite people at Emory. Tom Smith, a professor of finance here at Emory. Uh, Tom and I are, I think we could almost say we are we are the sports analytics or the sports business folks at Emory. So how are you doing today, Tom? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me in your beautiful studio. I love this. <laughs> so the, the studio is an office with a minimal amount of equipment, and I'm glad to have you, Tom. Yeah, well, I, you're just thinking about it wrong. This looks like a beautiful sound booth that doubles as an office. Exactly. Ha, you know, glass is half full versus glass, glass is made of paper. So, Tom, as we approach this time of uh, this time of the year, as we start to get into late April, one of my as like a marketing guy, one of my favorite sports events of the years, and it's been this way for a long time, is the NFL Draft. Are you a big fan of the NFL Draft? Actually, I really like the NFL Draft, um, and I like the analytics around it, mostly because as a Chicago Bears fan, I'm always trying to figure out how it is that they get it wrong over and over again. And I'm always thinking about that. I think think like Richard Dent was like a third or a fourth round pick. And you got great value out of the bottom of the draft with William Refrigerator Perry. I don't, I'm not sure what you're getting at. Yeah, I'm getting at the fact that they haven't had like a good draft pick in uh, maybe 20 years. And so even people who you think are going to do really, really well end up um, not performing at the level that perhaps they should. So maybe they're overestimating some things, but they seem to be making the same mistakes over and over again. And I think there's some teams, as you'll notice, that make uh, good choices and over and over again that people say, like, how did they, how are they able to identify that diamond in the rough? And then other teams that uh, people say, oh, that clearly that's the best choice, that is the diamond, and then the diamond ends up being, you know, cubic zirconian, right? And so, and some teams just do that over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, there, there are teams that are known for it, right? I mean, um, you know, my fandom is sort of center, and my football fandom, you know, my, my first love is probably the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? which is a team that's absolutely known for drafting. Yeah. Now, when you say the Bears, 
that that makes me that's a, sort of a great intro for you know going into this draft because this draft is looks like it's going to be you know maybe the the biggest uh, quarterback draft since uh, you know what, what year was uh, Marino and Elway was that like eighty two yeah that was yeah I was going to say that's like really early eighties mm-hmm. and you ended up with four or five quarterbacks that came out of that draft that eventually made it into Hall of Fame yeah. they were Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks yeah the, the Jim Kelly. Uh, yeah, Marino, Elway. I was at them. A couple that didn't work out, I think. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it was generally considered like a really strong quarterback draft. And you've oh. had you've had other drafts that were really strong, and let's say wide receivers or running backs or defensive players. Um, so, but this one looks to be more quarterback heavy. Yeah. At least well, that's the way I'm seeing some predictions. Yeah, I mean, the projections I'm seeing it's like uh, with Josh Allen, um, Sam Darnold, yeah, and. Um, Oh, uh, and Josh Rosen probably going one, two, three. Maybe Baker Mayfield in the top five, top seven, and Lamar Jackson potentially going in the first round as well. So yeah, could I mean, be you could have like half dozen, half dozen. Um, now it, it's interesting that you mentioned the the Bears too, because you're right. I mean, when was the last Bears draft pick of a quarterback that, as a fan, that you feel good about? Um, honestly, and I'm, and I'm probably in a minority of this, is that um, Jim McMahon out of BYU. Now, a lot of people thought like he was not a great quarterback. I thought he was the perfect person to kind of to lead that crazy, wacky team that they had that you know won the '85, '86 Super Bowl. Um, he was the perfect he was the perfect chauffeur for that for that circus. Um, I don't know if it makes him a good quarterback or not, but that's the last quarterback draft that a lot of fans would point to and say, "Yeah, like that was a good draft. It turned out it certainly turned out well for us, right? Maybe in spite of him, but was it Mc- turned out well for him." Was McMahon a first round pick? Uh, yeah, to BYU. Yeah. yeah, and so and that was uh, eight, I want to say eighty two or eighty three. I don't have my big man stats on me, but well, uh, you know, and I, I'll, I'll always remember that they picked. Well, I want to say Harbaugh. Then, you know, in the in the mid to it was like eighty six, eighty seven, and that was always. And you know, looking back, it's probably just because it seemed like well, big man was just he's just getting so beaten up that they didn't think he was going to have the longevity. But so I've always, I always liked Harbaugh as a quarterback. I think that he had more success. Um, you can double check me on this, but he had this great game. I want to say he was playing for Indianapolis. Against the and, Steelers in the playoffs, and, right? Uh, there was like this uh, last-minute Hail Mary, and they came like you know a half an inch for, from going to the Super Bowl or something of this nature. And it's, this was just a, he had a really great season with the, with the Colts, and he really just navigated that team very well. And it's, I don't really think about him as having as much success with the Bears mm-hmm. as he had with some other teams, even mm-hmm. as, as a coach. And so, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm blinded by that Super Bowl thinking about McMahon. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. And it's like, you know, as a sort of, the Bears are probably my second team. Harbaugh's like almost like the one that kind of got away in terms of later, you know, you know maybe they should have been drafting him to be a coach, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Tom. So you know, as we go into this draft, big topic for this for this podcast is the application of analytics to all things sport, both marketing and and the on field stuff. And I think the NFL draft is 
you know, there's probably a, it's probably true that every draft room, every team probably has a different process in yeah. terms of, you know, some teams might be more heavily on the analytics side. Now, actually, I think in the NFL, from, from what I can tell, you know, the analytics are a little bit different in terms of the thoroughness or the reliance on it compared to something like, a, let's say, a baseball. Um, and other teams might be much more driven by intuition or sort of the eyeball test. Um, as we go into this draft, you know, with such a quarterback-heavy, uh, with such a quarterback-heavy class, it brings to my mind the Bill Parcells rules for drafting quarterback. Are you familiar with Bill Parcells rules for the quarterback? I am familiar with a few of them, okay. and so, but l I mean, why don't you walk through the full list okay. and? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you which ones I'm, that I've got a check mark on. Well, look, I'm not going to say I'm an expert on these. And I think if you sort of just look around the Internet, you'll find some folks saying, well, there's four criteria. And some folks saying there were, he had seven criteria. Okay. Um, the, the list we've got today as a, as a starting point has seven on the list. So number one, be a three-year starter. Right. Okay. Number two, be a senior in college. Okay. Number three, graduate from college. All right, that's a big rule. I like that. <laughs> uh, number four, well, in, you know, let's come back to number three because as an analyst, number three is kind of an interesting one from my perspective. Number four, start 30 games. Number oh. five, win at least 23 games. Okay. Number six, post a two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. I like that one. And number seven, complete at least 60% of passes thrown. Okay. The last, the last two, the last two make a lot of sense from an analytics standpoint. I like those. Well, the last two are are interesting in that they relate more to, I guess, almost let's say within within game action, right? With right. sort of, they they end up being the kind of stuff that you would build into, or that the NFL does build into things like the the quarterback rating calculation, right? Right. Um, touchdowns are a positive in that calculation. Interceptions a negative. And completion percentage. That the only thing that's actually missing is the uh, is the yards per catch. Right, and I think those last two really get at um, decisions on the field, like so how how the quarterback reads um, the defense, um, how mobile they are, um, what kind of decisions they make at the line, how they manage time, and like all of those things. You know whether they're willing to whether they go for the sure. Um, you know, a, a first down, right? And so I like I like those analytics because I like to look at a quarterback and say, okay, is this somebody who is willing to go with like five or six yard out patterns? Really, not very sexy play, but you just kind of march down the field and score, or somebody who needs to have you know acrobatics and you know wants to throw forty five yard uh, passes to show off their arm, right? And so. Those are the kind of things that I, I think make a big difference in the success of a quarterback, and so I like these last two metrics. Now, I like what you're saying because I think where you're going with this is exactly where just about anyone that is a, let's say, an analytics person, and you know that can be a you know a computer science guy or a statistician, that that's where we all start to go with this stuff, yeah. right? And, but I think that's actually almost a little different than you know almost the spirit that. You know, it, I mean, to me, this is a list of heuristics. Okay. And it's almost like this ends up being a list of ways to filter guys in or filter guys out. Yeah. Right? Because it's all, it's all kind of yes-no stuff, right? It's like be a three-year starter. Yes-no, right? Right. 
and so as we get down to the bottom of the list, close to two to one touchdown to inter interception ratio, that's a yes, no. And okay. I say it because it's like, so there, there's sort of, I look at this in two ways. It's like, well, this is sort of this, this kind of, this expert, Bill Parcells, who's got all this, he's got all this knowledge in his head, and he ends up sort of checking boxes to say, eh, I'm concerned about this guy or this guy passes the bar. Whereas I think a lot of the analysts, like, like I see post a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, I start to think of the variable I'm going to use to do the analysis. Right. I mean, are you in the same boat with it? Yeah, I think so, right? So I'm saying like, so, so I would go, like if we were doing reverse engineering and saying how these are a bunch of successful quarterbacks in the NFL, um, was there something that they so was there something that they showed when they were a college player that would be indicative of their success? Okay. And so then I would say, okay, here's what their let's say their win loss ratio was yeah. in the NFL. What was their height? What was their college uh, touchdown to interception ratio? Okay. Or what was their passing percentage ratio? So I would use those covariance to yeah. try to predict their success, like. Yeah. After the fact, right? Reverse engineering it. Is, see, that, what, is that what you're talking about? Well, see, I, I think there's I think there's two things going on, and I think that th this is kind of the uh, what what happens when we go from the leap from when we when we make the leap from the kind of rules of thumb, yeah. the heuristics and of great value to the analytics. Now, I'll, I'll, as an aside, I'll also say I think one of the interesting questions to the analysts is just what is the value from going from the heuristics. To actually, you know, say crunching the numbers and, and looking at the data, yeah. but it, I think there's two aspects to this. And so, one, this issue of like this idea of reverse engineering of figuring out what the key traits were for those athletes, I think of that in terms of going to the data and looking for statistical significance. Sure. Right. Yeah. So he's got, you know, we we've got this list of seven criteria. I don't know. I mean, I've actually played around with some of this kind of data. I mean, if you just sort of intuitively, I mean, let, let me say, not, let's take intuition out of it. As an analyst, if you jumped into the data, do you think all seven of these would actually, you'd find a statistically significant relationship? No. I mean, I want to yeah. I mean, say that we can find exceptions to each one yeah. of these things and say, okay, this, this player... Uh, won all these games, this player graduated from college, this player won a Heisman, and then this player was cut by the Denver Broncos. Yeah. Right? It, it, <laughs> Not it, pointing to a particular player, yeah. Tebow, but I mean, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you can certainly find players that would fit in these characteristics that were not successful in the yeah. pro ranks. And I think, and, and that's one of the great things about analytics, right? That, that I think almost ends up being overlooked. It's that, like, so... So we could say that Bill Parcells has these heuristics. We could also, if we wanted to be almost less kind, say that these reflect his biases. Yeah, sure. And so we can go into the data potentially and see which of, you know, we can, we can check, have the data verify what's kind of a great thing and what's something that maybe, maybe you're doing wrong, right? Right. So you talk about biases. So, so, so like here's a, I read this uh, maybe eight years ago, and this was a, about an, uh, a coach who was doing recruit, recruiting for uh, maybe a, a basketball team, right? And he said, so he went to all these high schools to look at recruits and would recruit people. Yeah. And he, he wrote or he did said in an interview that he showed up at a player's house and they had a three-car garage that 
automatically he wasn't interested in the player. Wasn't tough enough. Well, yeah, he was so so wasn't tough enough. Didn't know the true value of work. Was probably given way too many, um, you know, pats on the back and you know participation trophies and whatever else. And said, I don't want this guy. And what if there was a four car garage? Yeah, no, four then car- we definitely yeah, want and, and a Hummer in the driveway. <laughs> yeah, right. And so and so you're I mean you're talking about biases. You're talking about things. So is it possible that that coach? You know, after a while said, oh, my gosh, like, you know, kids from affluent families end up maybe not working the same way. And so in the future, when I see some kind of a proxy of affluence, I'm just going to stay away from these players altogether. Right. And then they sort of build in these biases, even though statistically it might be you take a handful of players and say, well, these rich kids versus these poor kids, they didn't perform any different on the on the court, but you've got this idea because you had one kid who stuck out that maybe didn't do the yeah. extra push-up to the extra lap or something. Well, and and I think the the psychologists or the mathematical psychologists might uh, might label. I think what you're talking about would come into the heading of the availability bias. Yeah, it, and I'm, I don't know how much of this stuff you read, but you know, the, and I'll sort of go this by memory that the availability bias. It's like folks are too influenced by a focal event, right? Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, with what with what you're talking about, you mentioned Tebow. You know, if there was a, you know, monstrously sized, you know, white quarterback that ran like a fullback in this draft, but threw wobbly ducks as passes, you know, I, I think the, the the fact is that you're going to immediately say, oh, this is the next Tebow. I mean, you know, um, and we we do have an example of that in this draft of Lamar Jackson. Right. I mean, so what's the comparison to Lamar Jackson? Yeah, right. I mean, so players, the coaches have to um, identify that that player is the next coming of somebody else. And, so, and, and I think they're probably, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think mine's probably go to RG3. Yeah. And RG3. Yeah, he's building a tank. Yeah. No, he, same kind of same kind of player. But he got broken, right? Right. And so then, you know, and that's where I think some guy may tend to slide. And, and I think in some ways that's what the Parcells list is, right? It's it's kind of these rules of thumb based on experience that are then codified as, you know, a means of operation. I think that, I mean, this is a, a little bit of a side note, but I think it's also worth mentioning here that when you have these lists and you're sort of checking things off a box and then you ask yourself a question like, who does this person remind me of, mm-hmm. right? You do, and you tend to get some really um, very skewed outcomes with respect to um, race and positioning. And yeah. so, and it's a, I know this is a, no. I know it's a slightly different topic, but I mean, the truth is that is that if we know that these things are happening, yeah. like we have these biases built in, are we always looking for a person? And so, you see a quarterback who comes out of college. And he's got a build that's a little bit more like uh, Randy Moss. Yeah. Then do you say, oh, my gosh, you remind me so much of Randy Moss. You're the best athlete on this team. You don't look like a quarterback that I know. I'm going to draft you and turn you into something yeah. else, right? So, I mean, would Tebow have been more successful if he was drafted and turned into a tight end? Maybe, right? And those are the, those are the kind of things that I think – you know, don't often come up when you talk about these kind of lists. I think that I think that's exactly it, and I think that kind of comparables kind of notion is incredibly common in the world of sports. And, and when you start going down, I sort of laughed inside my head because, like, every high school basketball player 
ends up, you know, people love to do the projections to compare it. And it's probably shockingly, when you, when you mentioned race, it's almost like black players are always compared to African-American players and white guys are always compared to, to, other, to other white guys. And, and I find myself kind of, it, it, and this is why I kind of love the application to analytics to this stuff, because I can, I can sort of play both sides of the fence. That ability to sort of the human eye to quickly, let's say, here's a comparison that sums everything up, that's what the human mind is great at. But, you know, so human mind is great at these kind of holistic comparisons. But, you know, the details are where we kind of lose it. And that's where the computers are good. I like this. I like what you just said. And it just, again, a little bit of a side note. So I have a student who's working on a project. And this is, um, this is an undergrad who uh, was, uh, took one of my, my sports finance class. And he's actually looking at um, baseball and with uh, Justin Turner from the Dodgers and how successful he's been in changing his hitting style. And um, I did this latter thing and I said, wait, you want to try to find a bunch of people who are like Justin Turner. I said, go to the data and go find players that are the same size, weight, okay. height, had the same years of experience, and then bring me back the list of players that fit in that bucket. And then the list of players that he brought back were a really diverse list of players. So it wasn't just like a bunch of, you know, redheaded white guys. Like this was like <laughs> yeah. a list that included, you know, Hispanics and, and African-Americans and white guys and whatever. And, I, and he said, wow, this was a little bit different than what I expected. Yeah. When I looked at the data, I saw a different bucket than yeah. when I was just thinking about who's that player I would compare Justin Turner to. Right. And I, I really liked the fact that he was able to kind of go away from like the biases that he had and jump into the data. Yeah, and that's great, right? Because then if you think if, if this kid, you know, and I don't know about you, I mean, one of the things that I like to think that we are potentially producing here with all the time we spend developing sports and analytics courses at Emory is when we turn this kid into a general manager out there, Right. he's going to be able to use, you know, analytics are never going to dictate who you pick in the NFL draft. Never going to do that completely, right? It's it's too small of a numbers and it's too high of a stakes. But the analyst can nudge you in the right direction. Yeah. And that, that kid probably learned that lesson. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The the other thing that, you know, that came about as, as we started talking about this, this checklist is, and I think you were kind of going in this direction, is especially when we're talking about like the two to one touchdown to interception ratio. You know, this is a, I mean, this is reflecting, I, I don't know, I might say that a stat like that is, this is a criteria that says this guy has more big successes than mistakes. Right. The question I would come to as an analyst very quickly is like, well, what if it was three to one? What if it was four to one? What if it was 1.9 to one? You see where I'm going with right. this, right? Right. So, so it's it, so is he like saying it's two to one or over? You know, you gotta think that he's got a range there, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, certainly we're not in his mind. Um, so this leads to another thing within this statistic is let's suppose you find this player who has this great performance, right? And um, and we we talked about this with um, Sam's a couple years ago. Right, who came out of the combine with who? Uh, is it Michael uh, Michael Sams, the defensive tackle from yeah. Missouri? And and so he came out of the combine. 
He actually performed pretty well in okay. some in some preseason games, but he didn't get um, signed to a team or a practice squad. He got let go, and then the yeah. then the Cowboys picked him up for like a game or two or whatever else. And people were saying, "Look, like this guy had the most sacks in any of the preseason." But then when you look at the stats, you said, "Okay, mm. he had all of his sacks." We're in the fourth quarter. Yeah, like yeah. by the time you like take all of yeah. the starters out, so it's like, wait a minute, you can fit your yeah. you can fit within one of these buckets, but then you'll always find other analysts yeah. who'll say, well, well yeah, that, you're not. This, he played against uh, he played against you know barely D one teams. Yeah. So you know? tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth on this. So it's like there, there's again, now we're sort of talking about how do we take these rules and you know could we get more out of them by rather than going yes, no rules, to actually treating the data as if it was continuous. I mean, it is continuous, right? right? Can we extract more information from some of these stats? And so, you know, higher ratios of touchdowns, does that lead us to uh, better prediction of success? Um, or maybe a lower a risk profile on something like this? And then even beyond that, in addition to going from yes, no, to continuous or variables that move, mm is this question of, and I'll, I'll go straight analytics on this, it's almost like this idea of building interaction terms into your model, yeah. right? And so, you know, we like number five on this list was win at least 23 games. Right. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. And I think this is, gets to what you, were, what you were saying. If I win 23 games at Alabama, am I a success? How about if I win 23 games at Wyoming? Yeah, so winning 23 games at Alabama. Uh, you just got a coach you, fired. Yeah, you just get, that's <laughs> right. And so, uh, especially if that's over three seasons, Yeah. right? So right. if that's, I mean, if that's in two seasons, then that, that'd be okay. Then that's average. That's, av- then that's good. But like over four, if, it, if you, 23 games over three seasons at Alabama is, means you are not in contention for the national championship because you lost what, like three games a year? Right, You're playing in the Holiday Bowl, right? Yeah, the, right. The, the yeah, the the Sun Kissed Bowl, <laughs> whatever it happens to be. Uh, yeah, and so this is where people people look at a, a a player and they say, yeah, he threw for you know this many thousands of yards, or he threw twenty three touchdowns. But then people say, but look who he played against. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he's playing against like you know the Western Illinois. You know, yeah. God bless him, great team, but. They're not putting up a defense the same as like you know UGA, right? Right. And so if your quarterback has you know eight games against your uh, your uh, Leathernecks, if you will, then it, of course if they're not overperforming in that, right? That's where you would look and say like, well, that kid has got to have at least you know thirty touchdowns, you know, this this season in order for me to be uh, impressed, right? And so yeah, I. It makes, yeah, me th- it makes me think about this, like rethinking, like what Bel- what what Parcells is doing. Yeah, and I I want to say Belichick too. Yeah, I wanted to master. say Belichick. I almost said I didn't, and then we just both said Belichick. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, 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 but you know, and, and so again, you know, we we've got all these issues. It's like we start with something great, which is kind of the the boiling down of a lifetime of experience, and we can start to think, well, maybe we can start to extend this and maybe do a little bit better. And this is. Um, and I think there's a logic to everything we're talking about. I mean, the, the, to me, the big open question on all this is, what's that like incremental value of going from, you know, sort of a simple checklist to, 
you know, maybe treating the, da the, the data as continuous to get all the information out of it, maybe building in interaction terms to pick up some of the nuances. Mm -hmm. um, but even, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a, a funny little aside on this because I have done a little bit of work looking at this kind of data. In terms of that list that we went through, and I referenced this at the very beginning, graduating from college, you know, so for the armchair analyst, the guy sitting at home that wants to play around with it, with this kind of data and investigate it, that is an oddly difficult piece of information to find. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And it, you know, and it makes you then start to go down. And, and I'll say this. And so this is, this is again another sort of little. We got a lot of asides today. Yeah. yeah. Another little aside for the for the analyst is well, well. You know, so graduating from college, what do you think the underlying, or what's the underlying issue there? Why does that matter? Uh, from a coach, I think that yeah. would point to commitment. Um, it would point to perseverance. It would point to maybe just general work ethic, perhaps. Okay. I mean, of course, you're not saying graduating with college with a degree in math or chemical engineering right, again, versus graduating what we could add to this, with, right? Right, with a degree in, yeah, there, there's other, yeah. other degrees that maybe are not as uh, most, uh, robust, yeah. perhaps, yeah. allegedly. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and so another, I mean, and I think this is important for all the analysts out there. When you, when you see a, a, a list like this, you know, you got to realize that there's a, there's a conversion that's happening in the head of like, Bill Parcells is looking for guys that are smart, and committed and finish things to play the quarterback position and he's using the college graduation as a proxy for that right right but during the I mean but when they're doing it like you I'm sure you've noticed this is that when they're playing these games even as pros you know the, someone will make a great tack tackle and and the announcers will say yeah, you know, he was drafted out of Harvard where he was an econ major with a 3.87. I'm like, well, one, he probably, his, his agent put that out there so yeah. that you could have this information. But you're saying it because you're almost like, big guys aren't smart, you can't be fast, and also, like, no, the demand curve slopes downward. I mean, right? And so, but you don't hear them say, like, yeah. oh, he graduated from Middle Tennessee State University with a degree in public relations. Well, I mean, well, or he almost graduated from. That's right. He almost graduated from somewhere in Butte, Wyoming, right? And so, uh, yeah, I, I just made no friends in, Butte, in Middle actually. Tennessee or in Middle Tennessee. <laughs> Murfreesboro, yeah. That's right. That's right. You gotta love that Murfreesboro. Well, and, and, and so, you know, at, as, as the analyst, then it's like, and like I'll tell you, as you're trying to track down data on this, I don't think there's any way to track down if, you know, a guy drafted in the third round out of the University of Buffalo, whether or not he graduated from that school. Yeah, unless they're making that information of a public, right? Yeah. Unless his agent is putting it out there. Yeah. Right. And so then as the, let's say, the armchair analyst, it's like, it's an important lesson that it's like, well, what can we do instead, right? So if the underlying construct or idea is commitment and intelligence. You know, one of, one of the things we've done, we've played with is, Sometimes you can find things like Wonderlick scores. Yeah, they're so, yeah they're usually leaked. Sometimes we can find well one of the things we can definitely find is you know what college they went to, mm -hmm. right? And, and and again this, this is kind of the funny stuff. Like if you so if you go out there with this kind of an a, analysis, you kind of get get some criticism of like oh it doesn't matter what school you went to. There's smart people everywhere. So like at, at best we kind of got these proxies for 
these proxy variables that are correlated with the ideas we're trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, so it's, it's I think, um, you know, unless you've played around with these numbers, there are a bunch of numbers because there are, you know, football uh, freaks who just keep track of every stat known to mm-hmm. known to mankind mm-hmm. and stats that aren't even known to mankind, right? And so, um, you know, with all of the stat cast stuff that's going on is that people are able to track, like, what was the speed that, you know, uh, it was released from a quarterback or how many steps they took, but also how long was it before they passed the ball, right? These yeah. are these advanced stats that are coming out, but then some of the very easy stuff, like you said, like just graduation rates, yeah. it's why would anybody track this? It's just not a very sexy statistic. Why do you think there's nothing physical on this list? Oh, that's a that's a really good question. That's a curveball, too. I mean, yeah, that's a, that was definitely a curveball. Uh, yeah, because it doesn't say that it has to be like six foot one or two hundred and ten pounds, or uh, some kind of a body mass index, or there's nothing here either. Well, so the 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 six and seven, which is the touchdown and the completion rate, gets to performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe he already has an idea about what a quarterback should look like, and so even though these aren't part of his rules, I would be interested to know if 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 Parcells or, or any coach is actually drafting a bunch of people who look mm-hmm. exactly the same, right? And is it possible that all these quarterbacks, more or less, you only fit outside the norm when you're a Doug Flutie or something, right? Or you're a Tebow that, you know, that was this wobbly duck, right? Yeah, that was kind of my thought, too, is, as I started to go down that path. It's like, you know, maybe maybe those guys aren't even in the equation. Maybe if you're five foot eight and 160 pounds, you're not even in the set that he's evaluating, right? But, but it's a it's it's, a, it's an open question. Like who who knows? Right, and I, I know that some people really like to key in on some of the things that they do in the in the combines, right? And so mm-hmm. there's some people who can like surprise you by running a really quick forty or just having like this insane leap. Yeah. And there's other people who can knock themselves out of the draft because they're like slow as molasses, have no flexibility. But then there's like everybody else who's kind of in the middle, sort of like all right. You're a finely tuned athletic yeah. machine, and so is there really any reason for me to be paying attention to this? I want to see how you perform in various blocking, ta- you know, blocking tackle drills or accuracy drills or speed drills or whatever else. And those things aren't usually reported because those are happening, you know, as the combine is going on. Coaches are coming in and saying, "Yeah, let's run a, let's run a a, a blocking tackle drill or whatever else." And I think there's some of those that are up online now. When I want to say it was Belichick who was checking out uh, some of these offensive linemen, right? And saying he, he actually there was a video of him doing a blocking drill, a tackle drill with, with somebody. And it's like, okay, nobody's keeping stats on that, but right. he's he's got an idea in his brain about what that's supposed to look like, and he knows whether this guy can follow directions and whether he's built for his team or well, what have you. Well, and that's a, that's a good point too. I mean, you know. I think a lot of times when we when we approach this as academics, you know, you, we're, we're generally working with public data, and you know, we might be relying on combine data, right? Because that's the that's the best thing that we have, and it's the thing that we can find. But I do think you're right that over time, fewer and fewer folks are actually performing at the combine. You know, like I'll just run at my pro day, or I'll just throw at my pro day. Exactly. And I do I, I think you're right too um, that there's probably all sorts of Let's say non-standardized data that's almost like one-off stuff. I mean, and I, you know, I hate to try recall bring stuff up from distant memories, but 
I swear to God, I think there was some story a few years back of one of the teams that was really interested in like hand size for offensive linemen. Interesting. And so, you know, people might be looking at all sorts of different numbers in terms of, I don't like that guy's hips, or, you know, that guy's hands are too big, or, you know, all sorts of, you know, sort of more micro or idiosyncratic data. That, I know that that happens a lot more, or at least it happens with with um, a lot of prevalence in uh, baseball. And so what, what when you're doing a scouting report, I don't know if you ever had an opportunity to read a scouting report, they're pretty interesting, is they will they will talk about the player, right? This guy has, you know, wide shoulders. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a V-shaped profile, right? Uh, you know, big legs or skinny legs or long legs or long reach or whatever else. And those are the kind of data that are always interesting. I know we're jumping between sports. There was a story, but and these are all these like weird idiosyncratic kind of data points that you that you pointed to. There's a story about um, Jerry Krause who drafted Scottie Pippen and he the the story goes that Scottie Pippen's the only guy for that he our, ever knew for our younger listeners yes. oh uh, Jerry gosh. Krause was a legendary GM for the Chicago Bulls yes and uh, and he he had Scottie Pippen sat in the back of whatever it was like a Toyota Camry or something and was able to open both doors <laughs> at the same time because he had this super long reach and he said he's the only player he's ever seen who was able to do this and he said as soon as i saw i knew he was going to be an amazing defender because he just had this like these crazy arms right and at the same time this is also the the guy who said you can definitely win with bill cartwright because bill cartwright was a a center and he's just i mean a very beloved kind of a chicago guy he spoke with a gravelly voice and what have you and he had this awful shot I mean, they say awful. It's like a very kind of a bent arm shot. And he was like all elbows. And people talked about him as being all elbows. The, and the story goes. This has become yeah. like a retro Chicago. It um, has. I apologize special. for that, my friend. Oh, I, look, so, I, can go you, I can go you one better and then we'll, we'll, we'll sort of wrap this up. Yeah. I, I remember going to Bulls games in, in high school and listening to guys yell at Dave Corzine, who I believe preceded. That's, Bill Cartwright. That's, the, that's, that's probably true, right? But I mean, so, I mean, for Cartwright, he was all elbows yeah. and he said, look, you know, we're going to, he's, he's not in there to score. He's in there to make people think twice about entering the lane mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, you, you can't, you can't teach that. And that's, there's an old, there's yeah. an old saying, right? You can't teach height. You can't, you know, you can't teach toughness. Well, you know what? And, and, and I think maybe we should sort of, wrap this up for today and preview the next time we get together because I love you know I, I love where you're going with that because to me that's getting to even the next level of analytics right because if I recall correctly Cartwright was really brought in as muscle to back up Michael Jordan right so now what we find ourselves talking about as, as the analyst is like well you know maybe the type of quarterback you're going to draft the rules or the analytics, maybe that actually varies. Maybe the the draft order where you should take the guy, maybe that varies based on the quality of your offensive line and right. the running back that you have behind him in, in the t- in the two wideouts. Right. Or if you're more of a tight end kind of fancy team, or you're more of a yeah a run and gun or, team, are you going to yeah. be playing? Does the coach from... want to throw downfield or? Yeah, is yeah. he okay with making you know short outs, yeah. you know, three or four yards at a time? Yeah, it's. I think that who you who you draft uh, depends on what your your playing style is, and then and 
again, this gets into an even deeper level of analytics, which is do teams design their playing styles around mm -hmm. players or do they pick their players based on their playing styles of the team. Yeah. And w w Tom and I will also do a future episode here where we start to talk about how the salary cap plays to play into this stuff as well. Oh, actually, I just like the idea that you're inviting me back. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> well, I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it for today. Um, as always, guys, you can find more details on all the research and all the analyses that, that go behind the scenes on this on the influentialanalytics.com uh, blog. Um, Tom, can't thank you enough. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks.